Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? We're continuing with the second part on the word heretic, the ugly word that must be looked at. Part 23 of my series, Whole Body and Soul. Here we go. All right. Bad ideas are like the many-headed hydra of Greek myth. Uh, when one head is cut off, two more spring up. So just when something like Arianism was getting cured long, long ago, Nestorianism boiled over. And when that pimple was taken care of, monophysitism appeared on the body of Christ. And when the ointment for that was applied, a side effect called monothelitism developed. Um, and even after resolving these things, they come back. But at least the church has a cure on the shelf for each of these conditions. Um, they come back in odd and interesting ways. And some heresies, like Arianism or Sola Scriptura, take many centuries to fade out. Oh, wait, sorry, did I say fade out? They never fully disappear, so they leave like scars. Arianism was addressed in the year 325 at the Council of Nicaea, and a modern version of it is visible very much so in humanism. Uh, Sola Scriptura was addressed in the Council of Trent in the 1500s, yet the circular logic of that idea keeps every dog chasing its tail yet to this day. So today, a person could spend every waking minute refuting heresies because it's all over in the language of believers and non-believers. Arguing over these errors makes little impact, since those who open re openly reject official church teaching or church authority have adopted their own authority, either in scriptural interpretations or in their own mind. The old errors are so commonly held and pronounced that I, I can't really listen to modern music for an hour without recognizing at least one heresy. And I think Luke Bryan is kind of like a Pelagius of country music, um, but he is just one of many. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to single him out, but we could do a good series of doing a close reading of some of the errors in like, say, Luke Bryan's greatest hits. Or you could just take um, the, the latest top 40 um, hits of the week and find one that might be a good way to learn more about them. But it's not just it's not just him. I don't mean to single him out. Right. We live in an age of various common errors, most commonly um, Gnosticism, Pelagianism, there's Protestantism, which are all big words, but with basic problems when we examine them as practiced in the real world. And this is why the word Christian is so smashed up and misused and abused that it now kind of looks like the car in planes, trains, and automobiles at the end of the movie. If you've seen that movie with Steve Martin and John Candy, um, the car is just beat. The paint is gone. The windows are gone. Um, it's been set on fire. Uh, it's it's the, but of course the radio works is the joke. The radio still works and in, in the movie, but if if you don't think that the word Christian looks like that today, um, you can go on to Reddit, which is the popular site. Um, there's a slash r Christianity, a subreddit called Christianity. Um, it it is chaos. I mean, it is absolute chaos. There's no doctrine there at all. The subreddit should really be changed to slash r slash tohu wabohu, which is the Hebrew word for chaos before God created order in the universe. I think that is the wildest place of anything. I don't even know how they can use the word Christian. Of course, anyone can use it. That's the problem because there's not, it doesn't have any um, doctrines. It's whatever you want it to be. So um, Pope Pius X famously called modernism the synthesis of all heresies, which is a nice little line. Um, and the the people spouting off on social media does us the favor of proving it beyond the shadow of a doubt that 
the modern world or the postmodern is truly the synthesis of all heresies. Um, you could play heresy bingo and have a winner before finishing the first uh, comment section on one of Reddit's Christianity feeds. Um, it's it's like a it's like a catch-all slot bucket kind of, and it's remarkable to read comments there from from self-professed Christians because few seem to be aware of the first 15 centuries after Christ's death. Um, and it's not clear they realized there was a church operating before like the year 2020, maybe. Um, and I also don't think they know that there was another 1800 years between Abraham and Jesus. So uh, anyway, um, so there are many bizarre versions of Christianity floating around. And I, I used to think that nothing could outdo um, an episode of 60 Minutes I saw a long time ago where there was this this group in in the uh, southern state somewhere that had snakes and orgies for their service. That was like their church service. Um, but I've been proved wrong. I, I thought nothing could outdo the snakes and orgies denomination of wherever they were. Um, but yeah, I've been proved wrong recently in, in recent years uh, as the heresies have erupted in denominations that once seemed to have a reasonable reasonable grip on doctrine they were like just off here or there but churches like uh, lutheran elca and the methodists and even the quote cool catholic churches have been caught up in the spirit of the times and thus they will end up dying like dandelions when the autumn of this culture comes to near winter um, which is always sooner than we think uh, you cannot get to liturgies featuring drag queens or celebrating the very worst sin, as Thomas Aquinas had said, which was pride, without first abandoning Christ and the faith of the apostles. So however, however, the long labor of creating and carrying the church through the gauntlet of time has happened, and for the church that sticks to those teachings, it will outlast this current chaotic summer as well. And in the autumn and into winter, the redwood will outlast all of these dandelions um, once again, and it will arrive in spring stronger. So while this makes a lot of people feel worried and lost or scared that the Catholic Church will fall into error, it should actually give much hope because the only church that will last is the one which remains in full orthodoxy with sacred tradition and sacred scripture. The only church that is interesting or compelling is the one that keeps the deposit of faith and rejects all doctrinal errors from 33 AD until today, because it is the only church led by the Holy Spirit. When the breathless apostles first came to Jesus and reported error being used in Jesus' name, he said, Jesus said, it's okay. It's okay. Well, okay, he actually said this. This is from Mark chapter 9. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, to him, said, do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. So that's, that's awesome. Um, to break that down a bit, Jesus was telling the apostles that the others may cast out demons in Jesus' name. And that's wonderful. He didn't say, go out and club them until they stop. Or go out and, um, you know, and screw, shout them into silence, like we see happening at universities today when people, someone's speaking something someone doesn't like. Um, the church has 
certainly occasionally erred in misreading this from Mark 9. Um, but Jesus also didn't say, terrific, bring in these outsiders as the new teachers. No, they did not become apostles. He had already chosen his apostles, and Jesus didn't adapt his teaching to the outsiders. That's the other thing. The thing about Jesus is that you don't get to tell him what to do unless you are merry at the wedding feast at Cana. You come to him on his terms and surrender to him. He changes you, you don't change him. And therefore, your pride need not apply. You can't use your pride. You need to come to Jesus with humility. Um, Jesus didn't declare one of these other healers to be the rock on which he founded his church either. He didn't. He said they can cast out demons. He didn't say, "Yeah, bring them over here. I'm going to make that guy the rock." Um, he didn't. He didn't make these other ones the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. He allowed other interpretations or people to to tell about him, but he didn't say they were correct. All directions and corrections are provided to the apostles, which is why they were the chosen ones and the leaders. He even tells them the meaning of the parables in private so that they can teach it correctly. If you read this this parable of the sower, he tells it to the masses, then he tells the apostles. and says, this is what I meant by that, by the way. Um, so even when I was fallen away and considered myself atheist, I knew that if I ever returned, it would only be to the Catholic Church with Greek orthodoxy as a dark horse in that race. It would have never been um, Islam or Judaism, if, um, but it wouldn't have been uh, Buddhism because I, I looked into that and I was like, yeah, it's not, it's missing something. It wouldn't have been Stoicism or Epicureanism or any other ism because the only church that made sense historically, logically, physically, and spiritually was the one that Jesus founded on the rock of Peter because it was the only one that had fought and outlasted the intellectual, physical, and spiritual march of empires and ideas. And it was clearly different from all other Johnny-come-lately denominations. The non-Catholic denominations that may heal people and cast out demons, and that is truly wonderful, but they are wildly prone to strange theology and odd teaching, and they lack the all-important taproot of capital T tradition to the person of Jesus himself. The original, the real deal, it actually still exists if you look for it, um, I was quite surprised to find holy people still striving for holiness. It may have been the biggest shock of my life when I returned to find people who really lived it. Um, the first time I saw a grown man kneel for communion and receive it like his life depended on it, I knew I'd been missing the point. And when I started meeting with people that studied and strived for holiness, I realized that the lukewarm representations that I had held as standard was a very low standard indeed. Now, like General Motors, modern Christianity built a lot of models that didn't last. We had spin-offs of spin-offs so that most of those claiming the label, quote, Christian today would confuse the heck out of Peter, Paul, and the rest of the apostles. The Russian writer Dostoevsky famously wrote in the Grand Inquisitor that if Jesus came back to life, the Catholic Church would kill him again to retain its power, kind of like the Pharisees. Um, but as the Church lacks the power today that Dostoevsky imagined, the story has not aged all that well, despite being a terrific read. Um, it's more likely that if Jesus returned as Dostoevsky imagined, which didn't match anything that Jesus actually said about how he would return, Jesus would see that most of Christianity outside of the Catholic Church has turned into 
um, a place in Disney from Disney's movie Inside Out um, called Imagination Land, starring Bing Bong, the pink elephant, as the high priest. Okay, if you haven't seen Inside Out, that joke's not going to work anyway. So anyway, fortunately, the original model, the original model is still in storage and it's ready to roll. It still has some dents in it, the church, for sure, but it runs fine and those those scratches can be repaired. The apostolic church, the body of Christ, that has had plenty of fallen leaders and brokenness over the years, still has its heart alive and the head is always Jesus. The deposit of faith remains, and as long as the head is Christ, well, then it cannot bless sin, because Jesus did not bless sin. He said to go and sin no more. The faithful cannot elevate the self or feelings in replacement of God or what Jesus taught. And so the denial of sin is a no-go in the driver's manual on how to go to heaven. Embracing orthodox belief is how we answer the question, what is truth? It is also how communities and individuals get restored to health. From the body of Christ, life springs forth, age after age. We will not find salvation in heresy any more than we will in our youth sports teams or in a Tinder tryst or in an online mob in our endless entertainment options. No, restoration and the path to salvation will come back from where it began which is through the real presence in the Eucharist, in gatherings of prayer, in speakers witnessing their conversion stories, in Bible studies, in adoration chapels, in mass, in retreats, in recovery meetings, and anything that forges community away from the false gods propped up by modernism. And the number one false god today is, of course, technology and the self. So to be awakened... We need a massive American, what I would call an Ezra moment um, of deprogramming and teaching where someone breaks open the scrolls to read and remind the lost people of a past they now know nothing about. In the book of Nehemiah, the people hear the word and understand and they know their sins and they fall, and then they know how they fell into the state of sin little by little by departing from orthodoxy. So from Nehemiah chapter 8, it's Ezra opened the scroll so that all the people might see it, for he was standing higher than any of the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people, their hands raised high, answered, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt down and bowed before the Lord, their faces to the ground. When the people bow their faces to the ground, they have surrendered. But we have not done so yet. Some of us have. Some some are doing it. More are doing it all the time, I think, actually, even though we were told they're not. But we are still in full competition mode, both with one another and even more so with God. And this is what every heresy in history does. It competes with God. It tries to be God. Uh, most heresies from, from Simon Magus, one of the very first, to Nestorius, to Henry VIII, they all have a person with a large ego, often a king uh, who wanted to hammer the church into his image and likeness instead of making the body of Christ in the image and likeness of God. So how are we going to solve this competition problem? How can a culture built on competition or capitalism or winning or even communism 
or getting whatever we want possibly break this addiction? How can we possibly wait, turn away from serving our desires and looking for a, a false idol or savior here? Um, that's actually the easy part. It sounds impossible, but that's the easy part. You win the game by not playing. You win by the same way Jesus won it the first time. You win by living completely different from the culture. You win by being called out of the culture, so you go to the desert. Um, you, that's a spiritual desert. It can be in your house or neighborhood. You pray, you fast, you help the poor like Jesus. Um, it's far more important to help the poor than to go and help a sinner keep sinning. Um, you leave the place of idolatry like Abraham did. You exit the corruption like St. Anthony did, St. Anthony of Egypt. Like St. Benedict, you reset. You get apart from the world into the wilderness. Or like St. Cyprian, or St. Augustine, or St. Ignatius, or St. Francis, or St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Um, you swim against the current because the current is taking you the wrong way. So you reset and then re-enter the fray, washed anew in the blood of Christ. You win by accepting the sinful world as it is, and while still living in that world, but not being a player in its game. You win by entering into the suffering of others with love, not affirming their sin, but by witnessing another way to them, by you show them the rebirth, the new life. You can stop honoring and envying what other people hold as worthwhile, like money and houses and luxuries and sex and entertainment and food and alcohol and cars and boats and drugs and vacations. Stop wanting what the world wants. The entire problem is that you want the wrong things, and this is what leads to every error. And how do you step out of the culture? How do you stop wanting garbage in favor of the bread of life? We follow the advice of the truth himself. As Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. The good news for us about this brutal metaphor is that we have something we can rid ourselves of without actual amputation of our hand or eyeball. What causes our sin in most cases today is what sits between our hand and our eye. Hand, eye, what's in there? Hand, eye, the phone. It's the phone. Our culture is the phone. And envy, lust, pride, sloth, greed, and wrath all reach out to your throat through that device. So we can cut off the source of at least half, at least half of our most common ways of straying with not a single drop of blood spilled. You don't need a knife. You just need to turn the phone off. But few of us will choose this because hugging our sin is the easier path. Narcissus, remember, dies by staring into the mirror forever in love with himself. That's his awful ending, really. The easier path is always the one that doesn't pay off with interest. The easy path is that which is chosen by Lot, not Abraham. Um, it's the path chosen by those Israel, Israelites wanting to return to Egypt in the desert instead of staying with Moses. It's the path chosen by Peter when he denies Jesus um, three times. Um, it's the path chosen by Judas in betraying Jesus. And it is the path today of affirming sin rather than fighting it. Um, it's the path chosen by Marcion and Arius and Nestorius and Luther and Calvin and Henry VIII and Joel Osteen. The easier path is always the road to ruin and who wants to be part of a religion that demands nothing of us, that demands too little, when Jesus has given all to his bride, the church? So we must surrender to win. 
And you certainly do not win by joining the side that appears to be winning or that you think will win, because even if you win, you're still stuck in the game. In fact, if you win, you may be, you may be more stuck in the game than before, like how the proverbial quicksand pulls you deeper the more you struggle. Uh, how many aspiring employees who, who climb to vice president suddenly find that their wealth and prestige now, quote, requires a bigger house and a finer car and better schools for their kids? How many French and Germans and Russians traded in the humble truths of Jesus Christ for the toxic truths of a political party? How many Democrats and Republicans are doing the same in America right now, exactly as they were in, say, Dante's Florence so many centuries ago, or in Rome during the glory days of Caesar, or in the last days when the, when the collapse of the Bronze Age happened? All of these past peoples have turned to dust, but the living God remains and the Holy Spirit carried the church along in this final messianic age. It's carrying us now. We have to believe in that. Um, you do not win by surrendering to the bulldozer of earthly power on either side. You win by surrendering to the power of Jesus. He's the real ruler over all things. Your way of life will need to change if you accept him, if you come to know him. Your life itself may need to be giving, given up in professing the truth. But the only way to win at this most important thing is to surrender everything. Ego, pride, self-elevation, let it go. Otherwise, if your game is here on this earth, whatever you win today, you will need to defend tomorrow. And someday in the future, after long years of fighting, you will turn around and see that you have been defending a pile of rubble. And when you reach that moment, Know that the one truth is waiting for you to turn your face all the way to look at his sacrifice on the cross. And rather than dishearten you, this should actually ignite you. If you've been wanting the wrong things, figuring that out is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. Desires that you may have had or items that you wanted to own or experiences that you sought to remember, these were the distractions from the real answer to the one test question we have at the end. How strange I thought it was for Jesus to say when he would say, Rejoice, for the kingdom is among you. But it is here. It's here. But it's the opposite of the competitive nonsense and little trophies we've been seeking all our lives. This is really an ex incredibly exciting time to be alive because once again, the world has regressed into the same shape that it was in the first century when the apostles lit the fuse for the dynamite of the gospel. And the fuse is once again just waiting to be lit with the fire of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is here among us, and it is the church, the Catholic church with all its flaws, the church founded on a rock called Peter, the sinner and the saint, the fallen one transformed into bold healer. The same answer to why did Peter sink for an individual is the same answer for the church founded on the rock called Peter. Taking the focus off of Christ and the fullness of him is to sink. To look at Jesus constantly in trust is to experience the unending miracle of walking with God. The kingdom is here, the church, in the world, but not of the world, defending the faith from the many errors until Jesus comes again. Okay, thanks for listening. I'll be back with more episodes soon. I appreciate everyone who checks in, gives a listen, and maybe shares it with someone else. Thanks.